December 2nd here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 13 preview edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, I don't know about you, but I've got some tough decisions to make and some key money-on-the-line lineups this week. And they start tonight with the mm-hmm. Dallas at New Orleans game and a player that I know that lots of people are wondering about this week. Yeah, no matter how long you've been doing this, the decisions always get a bit you know, tougher. You, you think about them a bit longer when we get into this point of the season. I know all the high-stakes people are in their playoffs at this point, point. Um, and if you're in a normal league, you're a few weeks away. So I say stick to the same process. You know, The decisions are the decisions. You should be you know, making the right process play and kind of just let the chips fall where they may. I don't know if it makes it better to have been doing this long enough that you know you can make the right decision and still end up with the wrong player just because <laughs> some guy happens to score a touchdown. I don't know if that makes it better or worse. Not sure yet if it makes it easier or harder. I don't think it really does either. I guess it just, it makes me, it does, it, it makes me recover easier when I end up with the wrong guy in my lineup and say, well, I mean, it was the right pick. It didn't work out I, rather than kicking myself for picking yeah. the guy that didn't score. I've become pretty hardened in fantasy over the years where like, I like I feel pretty good about my, my decisions on Sunday morning. And then, you know, I, I don't really get too upset unless I look back and like, you know, that, that was actually the wrong decision. And then I'll be upset. But if you know things just don't go my way, touchdown luck just doesn't go my way. I'm pretty good about not letting that bother me anymore. It used to, you know, back in the day, but not, not anymore. So let's stop talking in vagaries and we'll get to the specifics of this game. It is Dallas at New Orleans on Thursday night. Cowboys by five points in this game, over under 48. Dak Prescott was coming off a bad game at Kansas City last week on Thanksgiving. Struggled early in that one, but really rebounded for a nice game against the Raiders. According to PFF, it was just his second game among 10 this year where he had zero turnover-worthy throws. So like I said, ended up with a good game overall. This is a tougher spot. The Saints are are good on defense overall, but they are particularly good against the run. Yes, much better against the run than the pass. You know, they're kind of mid-pack as far as pass defense, DVOA. Uh, the Saints are actually 28th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. And, and, you know, the Cowboys offense is getting healthy now. We know CeeDee Lamb is back for this game. It sounds like Amari Cooper is back for this game. We can get into him and, you know, what kind of fantasy play he is. But, you know, him being back is good news for Dak Prescott, obviously. And the Cowboys O-line is getting healthy, too. It looks like Dallas is going to have Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, and Zach Martin for this game. Actually, be the first time this season they'll have those three O-linemen and Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. So I, I think it's a good spot for Dak. I feel good about using him this week. And it should be the first time that they have C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup in the same lineup. Uh, and it, also on the other side, with the Saints' defense, they're missing some kind of key players, relatively key players. Slot corner C.J. Gardner-Johnson's out. He's on IR. Defensive end Marcus Davenport is out. So not the top level of that Saints' defense to go against a, a Dallas offense that's getting healthier. So, yeah. I feel pretty good about Dak Prescott at this point. It seems like it should be a good spot for him. We've seen good spots go wrong for him before. We've seen the Saints play up when they're home dogs. Maybe that happens, but this is one of those cases where even if he doesn't work out, it's a good spot for Dak Prescott. 
It is. Um, and you, you mentioned those defensive injuries. I, I, I think it's going to be a big C.D. Lamb game tonight. He's going to be in the slot primarily. That's what we've seen when Amari Cooper and Michael Gale have been on the field. It's those two guys on the outside. It's C.D. Lamb in the slot. We know that's a good place to attack the Saints defense, especially especially with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out. Cooper is the tough decision here. I mean, this is like one of those COVID things we really don't still have answers to. You know, he was just activated on Tuesday. He was reportedly still not feeling well on Tuesday. Only got in a limited practice on Wednesday. That's his only practice since going on the COVID list. So I, I'm, I'm not sure how big a role he's going to be ready for, how big a role Dallas wants to play him in, whether, you know, he's in game shape and is going to be able to handle a full slate of snaps. So, you know, Cooper is definitely a risky fantasy play tonight. Um, I, I think CeeDee Lamb is the best bet among Dallas wide receivers. And really, I think Michael Gallup and Cooper are kind of in the same tier as kind of wide receiver threes, but with some risk, with some upside, though, because we like the offense tonight. Yeah, and that's the tough thing here is a lot of times if you have a receiver of Cooper's caliber and you have those questions about him, you say, well, they're going to give him opportunities because they need to. Dallas doesn't need to. C.D. Lamb is out there. Michael Gallup is around. Dalton Schultz is around. They do have two running backs that they like, so they don't have to get the ball to Amari Cooper. So there is certainly some risk to him. I think he's kind of in the high-level wide receiver three mix, and when you get down to that point, I mean, there's so much variance that's going to come in the game. Who just happens to get open on certain plays? Who happens to break big plays? Who happens to get end zone targets? So Cooper is an option. I'm not sure he's an exciting option. Yeah, I would also expect Cooper to see a lot of Marshawn Lattimore when he's out there. Because, again, you know, he has been playing primarily on the outside this season. Now, Ezekiel Elliott, of course, is probably the biggest decision player here. Because if you just look at his season-long numbers and the offense he plays in, he looks like a must-play. He looks like the guy that you get to this point in the season and you say, start your studs. But that's not really the way to characterize Ezekiel Elliott's current state. So after the Thanksgiving game, we got the Ed Werder report that the Cowboys were considering giving Zeke some time off, maybe even sitting him out for this game to rest the bone bruise in his right knee. Then he had full practices all week. Zeke said over the weekend that nobody had asked him about taking time off. Jerry Jones said Tuesday, we expect him to have a serious load, which sounds gross, but (laughs) there's no indication beyond the Ed Werder report that we should actually expect Ezekiel Elliott to play less in this game. I laugh every time I hear serious loads, though. It's like the 15th time I've heard it, but it's it's still funny. So a c- couple things with Zeke. Tony Pollard outcarried him last week, 10 to 9. Uh, Zeke still saw the eight targets, though, to Pollard's four. Zeke also still played 64% of Dallas's offensive snaps in that game. He ran her out on 64% of the pass plays. Th- that was also on the short week, you know, only, only four days rest. Now it's a Thursday night game, but Zeke's had a full week of rest because they played, you know, on, on Thanksgiving. So, so I, I don't expect full Zeke. I don't expect, you know, the full serious load Zeke that, you know, Jerry Jones is saying. I think we're going to see more power than usual. But I do still think, you know, 12 to 15 carries and, you know, decent amount of passing game work is kind of what I'm expecting for Zeke tonight. I also think he's still a fine touchdown bet. You know, he's still getting those goal line looks ahead of Tony Pollard. So, yeah, I, I think you downgrade him to like an RB2, um, but an RB2 with upside and a guy that you know, I think in most cases I'd still be using in fantasy lineups. He's still in starter range in our running back rankings for the week, but it's more than just the bone bruise here. Over the past five weeks, Zeke, and it's more, it might be the bone bruise, but it's more than just whether he sees fewer touches than he has lately. Over the past five weeks, Zeke is 19th among running backs in PPR points per game. He's only that high because he has three rushing scores in that span. He's averaging 3.4 yards per carry in that time. He had three games among those five 
10 carries or fewer. So they don't even have to change what they've been doing to give Zeke the ball less in this one. And his scoring in PPR has been boosted by a reception surge the past two weeks. He's seen 15.6% target share over the past two games with no Amari Cooper, with limited CD Lamb over that span. Otherwise, Zeke has seen 9.7% target share for the season. So even if we get 50 Dak Prescott pass attempts tonight, 9.7% is like five targets in that kind of high volume game. So we're probably not going to get as much receiving as we've gotten lately. We're probably not going to get what Jerry Jones would classify as a serious load rushing. And we get a bad matchup. The Saints are the toughest run defense by football outsiders DVOA. And they are that by a wide margin. It's not close between them and number two. So it's a bad matchup for a guy who has not been playing particularly well. Maybe Zeke Elliott scores twice tonight. You know, he could have a bad game and still score two touchdowns, but he's not really a great play. So who are you considering benching Zeke for? It's Jamal Williams is the biggest decision. And I think that it's even amplified. I think I'm even leaning more toward Jamal Williams because my other option could be Sony Michelle if Daryl Henderson doesn't play. So waiting on Zeke tonight leaves me Jamal Williams as the fallback and leaves me the opportunity of playing Sony Michelle if there's no Daryl Henderson. I mean, our rankings have Williams pretty clearly ahead of Zeke Elliott. I mean, it doesn't feel great, but um, I would I would go Jamal Williams there. Yeah, I mean, that's where I think I'm going anyway. I think I had myself talked into that anyway, even if Sony Michelle doesn't play. We'll, of course, get to the Lions in a minute, too. Is there much to say about Dalton Schultz, you think, before we switch teams? Um, you know, bad matchup and more target competition. So I think it's like a low end tight end one, but I think, you know, he's, he's, he's not a guy you have to bench on the Saints side. No Alvin Kamara. Once again, he was initially ruled questionable, but it's been since reported by both NFL network and ESPN that he's not going to play in this game. Saints are also down both of their starting offensive tackles. So Mark Ingram is the starting back, but I mean, it could be a low floor, low ceiling spot made even worse potentially by Taysom Hills taking over a quarterback. Yeah, so Ingram in the two games he played that Kamara missed, the weeks 10 and 11, Ingram averaged 15 carries per game, seven and a half targets per game across those two. The targets are going to come down with Taysom Hill under center. There's just going to be less passing from the Saints. I do still think 15 carries is a pretty reasonable projection for Ingram tonight. Uh, Missing the tackles hurts, as you mentioned. Dallas has been pretty tough against running backs. They're actually fifth in adjusted points allowed to running backs. I think Ingram's an RB2. I think Ingram and, and Zeke Elliott are, are close as to, you know, who, who the best running back play in this game is. Yes. And I think honestly, that one would come down to who locks into a touchdown. So at, at that point, it's kind of flipping a coin. We got an interesting question from Brant Wilson on Facebook flex PPR spot, either Mark Ingram or Chase Claypool. What do you think, Jared? Yeah. I almost always go with the running backs when it's close like this. I just like the touch certainty. I do think Claypool has the higher ceiling, but I think Ingram has the much higher floor. So I would go with Mark Ingram there. I would lean Ingram here too. We'll get to the Steelers, but both Claypool and Ben Roethlisberger start the week with some injury questions. So uh, he's done well on target volume lately, and there's certainly upside to him, a higher ceiling. I agree, but I think I would lean Ingram for the safety and touches. Yep. Agreed. Anything else really worth hitting on on the Saints side? Because I don't think I'm playing anything at wide receiver. No, not at wide receiver. Um, I mean, Taysom Hill is the big question here. And I was higher on him two days ago than than I am now. You know, no Camara hurts. Both tackles missing hurts. Um, Even last year, if you look at his numbers, Hill had Michael Thomas for all four of his starts last season. There's no Michael Thomas this year. So I don't expect a lot in the passing game from Taysom Hill. I do so. And, and the other thing too, is he's coming off the foot injury. And he, he says he's dealing with a partially torn plantar fascia, which can be a tough 
injury. He says it's more of a pain management thing and that it's not impacting his, you know, functionality. Um, that, that's still a concern for his rushing. So I, I've kind of cooled on Hill throughout the week. I think he's an option if you've been streaming quarterbacks, but I, I would not go sit, sitting any, you know, locked in quarterback one that you've been starting all season for Taysom Hill this week. Yeah, I agree with that. I would not play Taysom Hill over Derek Carr. I think anybody below that is, you know, worth a consideration. And, and Kirk Cousins, by the way, is not down in that territory either. Kirk Cousins is well above him. Yes, agreed. And Jalen Hurts, I think, is another one. Actually, as we get to the next game, Jalen Hurts will be the, the starter of that yeah. one. I would play Jalen Hurts over Taysom Hill this week. Yeah, I actually had that decision in a league, and I'm waiting to see what we hear about Hurts today. If, if I feel confident about Hurts playing, I'd rather use Hurts. Just the, the timing of this makes it a little tough. Yeah, so let's jump into that one now. It's Philadelphia at the New York Jets. Eagles by seven, over under 45 and a half. And I agree with you, Jared. That's the bad thing about Thursday night football is it just makes us make stupid decisions. But Mm -hmm. Jalen Hurts was limited Wednesday, got the sore ankle coming out of that bad performance against the Giants. He says he'll play. That doesn't always mean he will, but I think things are trending in that direction. He should be determined to bounce back from arguably his worst game of the year, whatever that means. I don't know how much determination matters unless you're Baker Mayfield. But overall, Jalen Hurts still has the most top 12 fantasy finishes among quarterbacks this season. So I'm going to probably lean toward what he's done for the year over concerns about his performance last week. Yeah, last week was just his second game outside the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks of the season. He's, he's 10 out of 12 as far as finishing as a quarterback one. I expect him to play, too. He was limited on Wednesday. He, he says he's going to play. He played through the injury Last week, he, he hurt the ankle early in the fourth quarter and played the rest of the game. The concern is, you know, whether and how much the ankle impacts his rushing ability. The nice thing here is he has more passing upside than usual against the Jets, who are, you know, 31st in football outsiders pass defense, DVOA. They're also 31st in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. So even if Hurts' rushing production is down a bit here, I think, you know, there's a good chance we get more passing production out of him than we have recently so yeah I, I think he's a top 12 play this week again I do like him over Taysom Hill as long as you know we know Hurts is going to play and I think his other non-top 12 game was the game at Detroit where he played well it's just that the scores yeah. went to other people it's worth noting too the Giants you know they're not tough on defense but they're not a total pushover it's not like he had his <laughs> bad day against the Jaguars yes agreed So I'm going back to Jalen Hurts, really like over the other guys I would reasonably be weighing him against. Again, Kirk Cousins would be above Jalen Hurts in the rankings. Derek Carr, kind of a toss-up. I I think Hurts probably has the higher ceiling. Actually, I'm not even sure he has his higher higher ceiling. Hurts and Carr, I think, very even would be more of a coin flip. Yeah, I'd go Hurts there, but I'm with you. I would use Kirk Cousins uh, over Hurts this week. Elsewhere on the Philly offense, no Jordan Howard or Boston Scott at practice on Wednesday. It was just an illness for Boston Scott, so it doesn't seem like it'll be a concern. We'll certainly watch that. Miles Sanders was actually limited after coming away from Sunday's game with some ankle soreness. So the backfield's going to take some sorting this week, but last week we saw Boston Scott the better option than Miles Sanders. Yeah, Sanders tweaked his ankle. I think it was on his first carry of the second half last week, and I think he only had of two or three carries the rest of the way in the in the first half of that game it was six carries for Miles Sanders to four for Boston Scott two targets for Scott to one target for Miles Sanders you know if Sanders ankle isn't a limiting factor on Sunday I think that's kind of the split we're looking at maybe Sanders with a few more carries than Boston Scott but um assuming Jordan Howard's out and it's just Sanders and Scott I think both those guys are in play as, you know, borderline RB2, just because this matchup is so good. The Jets dead last in adjusted fantasy points allowed through running backs. 
I agree with that. They'd be more attractive if they didn't have a better running back playing quarterback for their team, but certainly an upside spot for whoever's active for this game. Yeah. And again, if, if Hertz ankle limits his rushing, that probably means more carries for the running backs. <laughs> Maybe we'll see about Nick Sirianni's decision-making in this case. No Devonte Smith at practice on Wednesday as well. He also had an illness, so not a good time to be around Eagles headquarters. Apparently we'll <laughs> assume he's good to go for now, but the situation still makes him a low floor play. Yeah. Wide receiver three, um, you know, gets a boost because, of the matchup, but, um, you know, Philly's just not passing enough to make any of these pass catching options, safe fantasy plays. Yeah. Same deal for Dallas Goddard. Who's 11th in our PPR rankings, despite a positive matchup. I'd, I'd be flipping a coin if I were deciding between Dallas Goddard and Noah Fant, but it would probably be Noah Fant for me mm-hmm. as a better bet for target volume. I'd probably lean Goddard. You know, Goddard had seen six plus targets in three straight healthy games before last week. You know, last week was kind of the outlier and the, the Jets are dead last in uh, football outsiders, tight end coverage rings. I, I think Goddard's matchups a bit better. And I, th- I honestly think the volume projection is kind of similar for these two guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will go with similar. We'll get to Noah Fant in a few minutes. Zach Ertz, Dawson Knox, I think two other guys in similar range. I would go with either of those guys over both of those two tight ends we were talking about. Me too. On the Jets side, Corey Davis still no practice Wednesday, so we'll see if he's able to return this week. Keelan Cole is on the COVID list. Coach has already said he's going to miss this game. So if Corey Davis remains out, maybe Jamison Crowder goes back to existing, but the Jets showed us last week that we shouldn't trust anything by throwing him one target in a game where Braxton Berrios got three targets. How bad is Zach Wilson right now that, like, it's a noticeable drop-off from Joe Flacco and Mike White to Zach Wilson? Like, it's tough to even trust Elijah Moore. Right now, he just, he hasn't produced with Zach Wilson. And Moore's usage last week, by the way, was still awesome. Um, 88% of the snaps, 97% of the pass routes. He saw eight targets. That was a 33% target share. Um, but he caught just four balls for, for 46 yards. Um, so it's tough to trust him, especially in this matchup, too. Philly has been tough against wide receivers all season. They're uh, third in adjusted points allowed to wideouts. Yeah, so don't like any of them, but if you're reaching, Elijah Moore is the top one. Jamison Crowder is a, a really deep reach, but, you know, one with some target volume upside. Backfield, by the way, was split three ways without Michael Carter last week. Tevin Coleman led in carries. Ty Johnson led in pass snaps, but saw just one target. Austin Walter, everybody's favorite uh, undrafted free agent from three years ago, was the red zone back in this game. He's 5'7", 194 pounds. As I said, a third-year undrafted free agent, so he jumped off the practice squad and took over red zone carries. I I don't think there's any way any of us could say we know how the backfield's going to go yeah. this week. Let's hope you don't need any of them. Yeah, I mean, I can say pretty confidently that these guys won't combine for 31 carries again. You know, that was a result of you know, being a close game against Houston. Um, so, you know, Tevin Coleman got about half of the running back carries, but I think you're going to get, you know, 20, maybe 25 carries for all of them uh, this week. So, yeah, hopefully you don't have to, to mess with any of these guys. Tevin Coleman is the play if you have to, though. Uh, Ryan Griffin, I think, is really the only other guy worth mentioning. There's some matchup upside here. The Eagles have allowed a lot of fantasy points to tight ends, but he's really more of a cheap DFS option than he is for actual redraft lineups, unless you're you know, in a particularly deep league. If you're considering guys like James O'Shaughnessy this week, I'd take a shot on Ryan Griffin over him. But Foster Moreau, I think, would be an easy start if there's no Darren Waller over both of those yeah. guys. Yeah, easily Moreau over Griffin. I think I'd even go O'Shaughnessy over Griffin. I'd actually – Dog into Griffin because the Eagles matchup is so good, but Griffin's just 31st among tight ends and expected fantasy points over the last four weeks. So his usage hasn't even been that strong. Well, yeah, we can't look to any jets for expected fantasy points. <laughs> no expected. Yes. Actual. No Arizona at Chicago, the Cardinals by seven and a half over under 45 and a half. There's no chase Edmonds still for this game. Cliff Kingsbury says he thinks Edmonds will be ready for week 14. Though so we're starting James Connor with confidence still. 
DeAndre Hopkins, however, limited Wednesday. So back to some action. He missed the past three games, plus most of the previous one with a hamstring injury. Kyler Murray also limited Wednesday. Looks like he's going to be ready to return after three games with an ankle sprain. So it's going to be the first time in a while that we've seen either of those guys. And only the second game that Zach Ertz will have played with uh, a healthy-ish Cardinals lineup. Yeah, it sure sounds like we should expect Murray and Hopkins to play this week. And it also seems to me that, you know, Arizona has been cautious with them and you know, held them out to get them back something somewhere close to 100 percent. So I, I think Kyler and Hopkins should be back in fantasy lineups, assuming they're active on Sunday. And, and Hopkins return obviously is going to hurt Christian Kirk's target share, A.J. Green's target share. So I think those guys are, you know, fringy wide receiver threes. I, I do think Kirk is the better that you know he's just he's just been more productive he's having a good season Kirk is 25th among wide receivers and PPR points right now again I think he he you know loses some share with Hopkins back and then yeah Zach Ertz we talked about his usage being strong he's out there he's running pass routes he's he's had a pretty nice target share um and gets Kyler Murray back now Ertz finished tight end five in that one you know full game with Kyler Murray so I I think he's you know a, a borderline top 12 play this week yeah, he was down in playing time that one, but that was his first game with the team. 49% snap share. He's been over 70% in every game since then. I would expect it to be more like that now. Five targets in that game, caught three for 66 and a touchdown. Had the one long catch and run touchdown, which is not something we count on from Zach Ertz, but decent <laughs> enough um, target share, I think, in, in this game and, you know, in a good offense for scoring opportunities. Yep, for sure. On the Bears' side, still no practice for Allen Robinson on Wednesday. He missed the past two games. No practice for Marquise Goodwin, so we'll see about him just for the sake of how many targets it leaves available for other people, not because we're considering Marquise Goodwin now that we're outside of short slates for DFS. Justin Fields put in a limited practice, so we'll see if he's back for this game. Yeah, Matt Nagy said that uh, Andy Dalton got the first team reps on Wednesday, so it kind of seems like they're still prepping him to start this game. Maybe we get Fields back for Week 14, but I don't think you're you know messing with either quarterback. At this point, it's Darnell Mooney, who is kind of locked in as a fantasy starter at this point, assuming Allen Robinson remains out 24 targets for Darnell Mooney over the last two games with Andy Dalton. Cole Komet is the other guy in play here, I think. I mean, he missed Wednesday's practice with a groin injury, so that's going to be worth monitoring. But Komet has six plus targets in four of his last five games now. He's 10th among tight ends and expected fantasy points over the last four games. So he's getting nice usage. The upside still kind of limited in this offense. The matchup is also tough against Arizona. They're uh, second in football outsiders tight end coverage ranking. So Komet, not an exciting play. Um, I think I, I think all those other guys we've talked about, I would play over him this week. And that includes Foster Moreau. I would, you know, snag him and play him over Cole Komet. But, um, you know, Komet is a decent target bet for the position. Also, Arizona's the fifth toughest matchup for fantasy scoring by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. And, you know, you mentioned the upside. Jimmy Graham has kind of reemerged as an option here where he's getting a couple targets every game and is in the end zone mix. So that certainly caps the upside for Cole Komet. Uh, I agree. He's a low-level option. I would play Foster Moreau ahead of him. I would probably take a shot on Cole Komet over James O'Shaughnessy and Ryan yes. Griffin. Me too. Anything else from that game? Nope. David Montgomery, just kind of a, a boring RB2. Um, he's getting good volume, but you know, not, not, not exciting in this offense. Yeah, he doesn't even uh, qualify as an interesting running back to talk about with the kind of slate we've got this week. And speaking of which, Minnesota at Detroit gets interesting. The Vikings by seven, over under 46 and a half. And on the Vikings side, it's still you know pretty easy. Everyone's a good play relative to their respective level. Kirk Cousins, yeah. we mentioned a couple times, comfortably inside our top 10 at QB. And with Dalvin Cook out, Alexander Madison becomes one of the top plays at running back for yeah. the week. 
Yeah, Jonathan Taylor is the only running back I'd rather have than Alexander Madison this week. I think he's that strong of a play. He had 34 and 32 opportunities in the two games without Dalvin Cook earlier this season. One of those came against the Lions in week five. Uh, Madison had 113 rushing yards in that game, seven catches, 40 yards, and a touchdown. So you know, I, I think he, he's an elite RB1 play. I think I think Tyler Conklin is kind of the guy you might be wondering about this week. Um, you know, Detroit is 17th in adjusted points allowed to tight ends, 21st in football outsiders head end coverage rankings. I don't think you're going to get big volume out of Conklin. I just don't think it's going to be a high passing volume game from Minnesota, but I do think he's a good touchdown bet um, or you know a, a decent touchdown bet with the Vikings likely to, to yeah move the ball pretty well in this game. So I mean, he's outside our top 12, but um, I would take a shot on Conklin over Cole Komet this week. Yeah, I would do that as well just because of the better offensive situation. But I, I don't expect a whole lot uh, target-wise. And yeah, just in general, he's the kind of guy that if it's a terrific matchup for tight ends, maybe you boost him some, but otherwise he's just you know in that tight end 15-16 range. Yeah, his his two higher target games um, came against Baltimore and the Chargers, who you know are weak tight end defenses. The Lions aren't great against tight ends, but they're also horrible against wide receivers. So there's really not going to be a need for Minnesota to feature Conklin more than usual in this game. Right. If you're the Vikings, you're not like, well, we're going to get Ty Conklin going this game <laughs> because the Lions are going to lock down Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Exactly. On the Detroit side, DeAndre Swift is the big story. Shoulder injury could cost him multiple games. Seems like it's definitely going to cost him this game. And that should make Jamal Williams a workhorse. 20 touches on Thanksgiving, 15 carries, five catches. Uh, Swift left that game early. The Lions for the season, and this is probably what makes Williams the most interesting, they have six more running back receptions than any other team in the league. Yeah, Lions running backs have combined to average 9.3 targets per game this season. Um, Now, I think a lot of that is... Or at least some of that's because Swift is such a good pass catching back. Williams is is solid. He's reliable. I don't think he's he's not as dynamic. So I think he, he's not going to see as much target volume as DeAndre Swift. But I do think he's going to dominate carries. Um, after Swift left that Thanksgiving game midway through the second quarter, Williams played 74% of the Lions offensive snaps. He had eight of the nine running back carries and five of the six running back targets. So you're going to see, you know, Jamar Jefferson and, and Godwin Igwebuke mix in for, you know, a few touches here and there. But I think Williams is going to get the vast majority of the backfield work. Yes, I would expect so as well. And he faces a Vikings defense that has really dealt with a lot this year. Um, they, of course, the defensive end group has been decimated by the Daniel Hunter injury, Everson Griffin's issues. Uh, defensive tackle, they got Dalvin Tomlinson back today from the COVID list. So he's available to toughen up the run defense. Michael Pierce is a maybe, another defensive tackle for them. He's on IR. He's designated to return. So we'll have to see if he's activated. That would make the run defense tougher than it has been in recent weeks. Anthony Barr also iffy with some injuries. And then even Eric Kendricks and D-tackle Sheldon Richardson were limited Wednesday. So, you know, we'll see about all those guys. The run defense overall started the season well, but it's been up and down since then and nothing scary in its recent games. Some bad performances mixed in, so it could be a pretty good spot rushing-wise, assuming Minnesota doesn't jump out to a lead, which is entirely possible in this one. It is possible. I mean, that's where, again, it's nice that Williams can do some stuff in the passing game. Um, but, yeah, Minnesota 29th in football outsiders run defense DVOA. So, yeah, I do think it's a good matchup for Williams. But I think, above all, you're just you're playing him for the volume. Yeah, and the Lions rushing offensive DVOA has also picked up over the last three games since getting Taylor Decker back uh, from IR. The pass offense, meanwhile, I mean, I hope you don't need anybody besides TJ Hawkinson or Jamal Williams. Yes, I do think Josh Reynolds is kind of the best bet among Lions wide receivers now, but yeah, he'd be a total desperation play. 
Yeah, 88% playing time, five targets, touchdown on Thanksgiving after 90% in his debut. So he's in the mix, but let's hope you don't need to look at that level. New York Giants at the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins by five, over under a 40 and a half. That's the lowest of the week by two and a half points. So not an exciting fantasy spot. And, you know, the Giants are coming off a game that had, what, 20 total points with the Eagles. So, yeah, not a place to look for lots of points. The Giants' second lowest implied total of the week. They opened at 20 and a half in that category, down to 17.8 now with Mike Glennon expected to start. We don't know for sure if that's going to happen, though. Daniel Jones limited at Wednesday's practice. It was a walkthrough, so pretty easy to be limited. Joe Judge, of course, in true Joe Judge fashion, refused to admit that Daniel Jones won't play this week. <laughs> it, it does sound like it's a medical decision. It sounds like Jones wants to play. The coaching staff wants him to play, but it's going to be up to the you know docs to, to clear him. I don't I don't think you're messing with either those guys outside of two quarterback leagues, uh, Jones or Glennon. Miami's defense has played a lot better lately. So I think, you know, at best, this is kind of a neutral matchup for all these guys. It's still no practice for Sterling Shepard or Kadarius Tony, even though it was a walkthrough on Wednesday. So even if either of those guys makes it back, they're probably not going in most fantasy lineups. Yeah, correct. And I think you cannot use Kenny Galladay at this point either. Um, you know, the Giants tried to get him going last week. It still didn't happen. Galladay has just one top 40 fantasy week all season. Even though we got the report before the game last week that they were absolutely determined to get Kenny Galladay his first touchdown of the season, you're still not in love with him? <laughs> He had a, they they tried. He had he's had at least one end zone shot I saw, but it's not going to happen if you, you know, if he can't get open. Um, it's kind of hard to, to make plays. It does make it difficult to catch passes. Three catches on seven targets last week, fifty yards. I will say Mike Lennon is a deepish a dot guy for a backup QB. If he does end up being in there, nine point six a dot in his cleanup duty at Dallas this week, kind of in line with what he's done overall in his career. And that's that number is deeper than any of the past six games we got from Daniel Jones. So maybe Mike Lennon is what Kenny Galladay is waiting for. Maybe that's the move, that absolute determination to get Kenny Galladay the TD. Well, the high ADA thing would not be good for Evan Ingram because, you know, we, we kind of thought it was Jason Garrett that was making him this, you know, short-range guy. Evan Ingram's ADOT last week with, you know, Garrett finding out of the way was 0.8 yards. So, you know, his his uh, usage did not change. He, you know, he, he was out there for 94% of the pass plays. That's good. He saw a 20% target share, you know, had six targets. But, you know, three catches, 37 yards. I kind of think he, he just is what he is at this point. Yeah, Evan Engram's A dot is about the same distance as my nine-year-old son is for me whenever he's home from school. <laughs> nice. On on the Dolphins side, still no practice for Will Fuller with the finger of doom. Devontae Parker, though, back to practice this week. So he might be ready to return from IR. And is that going to cut into Jalen Waddle's newfound fantasy studness? Probably a little, but I mean Waddle can afford to lose some. He's sixth among wide receivers and targets over the past four weeks now, and he's fourth among wide receivers and PPR points over the past four weeks. So he he's been awesome. Um, I, you know, if Parker is back this week, it probably steals a few targets from Jalen Waddle. But I still think you're starting him. You know, Mike Kosicki might be the more questionable guy. He's been kind of disappointing lately to begin with. You know, ninth in expected fantasy points per game over the last four weeks, and if he's going to lose some to Devontae Parker, it kind of makes him a, a fringy tight end one at this point. I think. Yeah, last time we saw Devontae Parker on the field, he and Jalen Waddell each got 11 targets week eight at Buffalo. We only had four for Mike Gusecki in that game. That was a game that Tua missed, so you know we can't judge a whole lot from it, but I agree. I would be more concerned about Gusecki than about Jalen Waddell here, and the Giants have actually been a negative scoring matchup for both tight ends and wide receivers, so no matter what you count Gusecki as, it's not a great spot for his upside. Yeah, the Giants have struggled against running backs, um, 28th and adjusted points allowed. And Miles Gaskin has turned into a workhorse here. Um, he has his opportunities in the last four games, 26, 
16, 27th and eight or 27 and 18. Um, he finishes a top 11 fantasy running back in three of those four games. Philip Lindsay's dealing with an ankle injury this week too. So, you know, he kind of, most of Lindsay's work last week, by the way, came, came in garbage time. You know, Gaskin was the clear leader of that backfield when the game was still in doubt. So I, I think Gaskin is a you know comfortable RB2 play this week. Yeah, all it took was a romantic trip to London for Miami and Miles Gaskin to rekindle their feelings. <laughs> Six straight games since that one, including that one as the beginning point with 15 plus touches for Gaskin. And as you said, Giants are a strongly positive scoring matchup for running back. So a good spot for him. It's it's weird to get to week 13 and feel better about having Miles Gaskin as an option than Ezekiel Elliott. It's fancy football, man. Tampa Bay at Atlanta, the Bucks by 11 over under 50, the second highest of the week. And that's mostly on the Bucks side. They had the highest implied team total of the week. Still no Antonio Brown. He's now expected to miss at least two more games. Kind of surprising that he has never landed on IR with that ankle injury, but it doesn't really change anything because we've been doing that for weeks. Yeah, I mean, not much to say here on the Buck side. Start all your guys. You know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin obviously disappointed last week. Brady just took what the Colts were giving him, and that was, you know, Rob Gronkowski down the middle and then, you know, dump offs to Leonard Fournette. Evans and Gobbin both had nice games against the Falcons back in week two, so they they should be solid. And then, you know, Gronk, uh, easy starter, and, and Lenny Fournette's an RB1 every week now. I'm definitely going to pour some rum for Joe Boo to get another Leonard Fournette game this week, too. I mean, that's going to – that was beautiful last week. I could go for another one of those. That was beautiful. On the Atlanta side – I mean, it's easy, right? This matchup, the Bucs are so tough against the run that we just ignore Falcons running backs and we increase volume across the passing game. And that's just how we play it, right, Jared? I mean, yeah, teams throw more against Tampa. Um, you know, Tampa hasn't been a pushover against the pass, though. They're actually up to eighth in Football Outsiders pass defense, DVOA. They're like a neutral matchup for, for quarterbacks. They're 16th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. I mean, I, I'm not excited about Matt Ryan here. I do think you're going to get way more passing volume than we've seen out of Ryan. He's actually... Averaged only 27 pass attempts per game over the last five now. Um, he threw it 46 times versus the Bucks in week two. So, you know, that to me, that's more be excited about Kyle Pitts maybe getting, you know, eight to 10 targets in this game. And I do think Russell Gage is in play as a wide receiver three or four PPR leagues um, just as a volume play with the, with the Falcons passing volume likely to be uh, elevated this week. We have a question from Cade Smith on YouTube asking about Russell Gage or Marvin Jones this week. Which way are you going? Gage pretty easily for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, between them, I guess it's choosing between Matt Ryan and Trevor Lawrence and, you know, could go either way, but I would lean Russell Gage as well. I think it's more exciting for the Bucks defense if we're getting a whole lot of Matt Ryan pass attempts this week. But, you know, I was kind of setting you up because I know you tweeted earlier this week about the matchups bouncing out a little bit where the Bucks aren't quite as stingy against running backs right now as they were early in the season when they, you know, were just a brick wall and they've gotten stingier against quarterback scoring. Certainly nothing exciting among Atlanta, Atlanta's passing game. Cordero Patterson, though, has gotten to the point where you're not even wondering whether to start him. You have to start him. Right. Yeah. No, I, I don't expect Patterson to have a big game on the ground, but you know, he's his involvement in the passing game is big in, in this matchup. We saw that in week two, um, Patterson had seven carries for 11 yards. He did score a rushing touchdown, but he had five catches on seven targets for 58 yards and another touchdown. So I'd, I'd expect similar usage this week. I think he, he uh, you know, should be busy in the passing game. Yeah, things might run through him even more than usual because the Bucks. you want to get around the Bucks defensive line and they're dealing with the injury to Devin White. So that dings the linebackers a little bit. So Cordero Patterson's going to be, he's going to be important for anything that Atlanta hopes to do in this game. For sure. LA Chargers at Cincinnati, Bengals by three, over under a 50 and a half. It's the highest of the week. The Chargers 
are coming off a rough offensive outing, but Justin Herbert's still top 300 yards for the second straight game and the third time in the past four games. His A dot has come down over the past four games, and it looks like a big part of that has been shortening the targets for Mike Williams. Maybe that's an attempt to get him going. It hasn't really happened. He had one good game mixed in among some other forgettable ones. So I guess we should expect that to continue, you know, trying to throw him those shorter passes. Maybe that raises his floor some. There's still nothing really here to get excited about and to boost Mike Williams versus where we yeah. usually have him. Though. Yeah, he he's just back to what he's always been, like a boomer bust wide receiver three. Um, you mentioned he had that one big game against the Steelers, but he's been outside the top uh, 40 wide receivers and half PPR points in four of his other five most recent games. He's 42nd among wide receivers and expected fantasy points over the last four weeks. So, you know, it's not, it's not even like the usage has been strong he's just not delivering though the usage has kind of gone back to you know wide receiver four level um so that just kind of what mike williams is and then keenan allen has kind of reemerged as the clear you know top option in this passing game the Bengals' defense is kind of an interesting matchup right before their bye in week 10 they put up their two worst performances of the year by dvoa then coming out of the week 10 bye, and those came against the browns and the jets so it's not like they got beat up by good offenses since then though they have put up two of their best, not the two best, but two of their best DVOA performances of the year against the Raiders and against the Steelers. So I think in the end, I don't, I wouldn't weigh this matchup being overly positive mm-hmm. or negative for the Chargers offense. I would just kind of set the Chargers players where they normally are and not, you know, yeah. boost them up or knock them down too much. Yeah, the Bengals defense has been tough to figure out on a weekly basis. The Chargers offense has been kind of inconsistent from week to week. So it does seem like there's kind of a wide range of outcomes for how this game could go on the Chargers side of the ball. But, you know, I, I do think um, Herbert Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler are locked in. And then Williams and Jared Cook are, are fringe fantasy options. And then I think the one remaining question about how this game goes is the slow pace for the Bengals. Because they're one of the slowest offenses in the league. And they have leaned a little bit back toward the run in recent games after going more past happy before that there's a chance that this game disappoints versus the over under it there is yeah because i do expect cincy to go super run heavy in this game because they've shown a willingness to do that when you know i guess the matchup dictates it and you know the chargers matchup does dictate running the ball you know we've talked about that Um, teams are running against the chargers at the fourth highest rate in neutral situations so I, i do i do think this sets up as a big Joe Mixon game, and I think you know you you downgrade the pass passing game a little bit. You know, I think Joe Burrow's a, a borderline quarterback one. Still starting Jamar Chase. Um, Jamar Chase, by the way, we talked early in the season about how hot he had been running with efficiency. You know, making all these long catches, long touchdowns, which is kind of tough to sustain. That's flipped totally in the opposite direction lately. You know, he's sitting on a. 48% catch rate and 10.1 yards per catch over his last four games. Now, his targets and target share are actually up over his last four games by a little bit versus the first seven. So it's going to balance out. He's going to, you know, flip back in the positive direction now at some points. I would stick with Jamar Chase in fantasy lineups. And, you know, T. Higgins is a pretty easy starter as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly in most cases you're sticking with him. I wonder even though at wide receiver 16 if he's if we're overrating him from that start just for this this game situation that we're expecting too. Yeah, it's a tough matchup, but Chase is ninth among wide receivers and expected fantasy points per game over the last four weeks. So, you know, again, he's still getting awesome usage. He's, he just hasn't been converting it lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would generally stick with him. It'd be tough to – I would consider myself lucky if I have three better <laughs> wide receivers than Jamar Chase. Yes, for sure.
Indianapolis at Houston Colts by nine over under 45 and a half expect a Jonathan Taylor fest here. Carson Wentz attempted 20 passes in their week six meeting, which is a 31 to three Colts win. Tarod Taylor wasn't around for that one. He's back for this one. I don't think he was the difference there. So Carson Wentz is outside the top 12. I would not expect a big volume barring some kind of shocking Houston performance. The Colts though are playing pretty well right now. They won three straight games before last week against the Bucks, and they played Tampa tough in that game. Yeah, it should be a, a massive JT game. If you're using Wentz, you're just hoping, you know, he he kind of gets the touchdown luck that the touchdowns go his way. You know, he, he finished quarterback 16 in that first game against Houston because he, he threw two touchdowns. So I do think he's a decent floor play, but you're not you're not going to get big passing volume out of him here. That's obviously not good for Michael Pittman either, even though the matchup is solid. Um, he had just three targets in that first game against Houston. Um, so you know, he's, he's um, you know, kind of a, a risky art, uh, wide receiver too this week. Although again, I do think, you know, the passing game is going to be efficient when it, you know, when they go to it, I just don't think you're going to get many passing attempts out of Wentz here. Mm-hmm. I think that makes Jack Doyle somebody to largely forget about, but kind of in that range where Ryan Griffin and James O'Shaughnessy and some other guys we talked about are six eighty one one receiving last week for Doyle five targets in two straight games before that. So, you know, down at the bottom of tight end two territory, he's probably got about as good a chance of catching a touchdown as any of those other, you know, mm-hmm. also rans in that area. Yeah, 17% target share for Doyle over the last three games. Now, his his route rates still are not very strong. It's still He's still basically splitting pass routes with Mo Alley Cox. So that's kind of scary. Uh, the matchup's good here, though. Houston's been really bad against tight ends. So I do think Doyle's in the... James O'Shaughnessy, Ryan Griffin tier. You know, I, I would definitely start the Foster Moreau's and those types over Jack Doyle. Yeah. And of course, once you get down to that range, whoever scores a touchdown is going to leap 10 spots above where he's ranked heading into the week. Doesn't necessarily yep. mean who's the better play. Before we get away from the Colts offense, Rodrigo Blankenship is eligible to come off IR, but it sounds like the Colts are sticking with Michael Badgley over him and letting Blankenship get back to full strength. So don't go pick up Blankenship and expect him to play this week. On the Houston side, David Johnson, no practice Wednesday, illness and thigh injury there. Rex Burkhead led him in carries each of the past two games. He outperformed DJ as a receiver against the Jets. And even Rex Burkhead still stunk in that best of possible matchups for running backs. So let's go ahead and ignore the Houston backfield. Yeah, Houston won two weeks ago, and it was a close loss against uh, – a close loss – last week. So they've been able to run the ball. I don't think that's going to be the case in this game. And the Colts have been really good against the run all season. So definitely try to avoid this backfield. Good IDP news from the Texans. At least they did just uh, designate Christian Kirksey to return from IR. So we'll be able to use him again in lineups. Most likely we'll watch to make sure he's activated. So back to the offensive side, it's Brandon cooks and it's nothing, right? Yep, exactly. I think, you know, this is a spot where Tyrod Taylor by the end of the weekend could be like, QB 15. I could see him outscoring guys as high as Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson, but I certainly wouldn't want to trust him. I think it gets to be a little bit better spot if DeForest Buckner can't play, but I'd have to be pretty hard up to, to take a shot on Terod Taylor. He's a solid quarterback too. Like I wouldn't want to mess with him in one quarterback leagues, but you know, two quarterback leagues, super flex leagues. Um, Tyrod has finished his weekly finishes in his four healthy games this season have been quarterback 11 quarterback 26, quarterback 12, and quarterback 13. So he's delivered in three of his four games. Um, and the Colts are a you know, pass funnel defense. They're much tougher against the run. Houston's going to be playing from behind in this game. So, you know, he's decent. Um, I just, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I think you can do better in a one quarterback league. You know, I would, like I would definitely play Taysom Hill over Tyrod Taylor. 
Jacksonville at the LA Rams. Rams by 12 and a half, over under a 48 in this game. The Jags carry the lowest implied total of the week. James Robinson limited at practice Wednesday. It's weird though. I, I kept seeing reports that he was limited, but the team website didn't list him on the injury report. So do you know anything about his situation? I don't. I know he's been dealing with the ankle and the heel thing for a few weeks now. And, and you know, his usage has not been as strong since coming back from that injury. His snaps have been, you know, in the fifties to sixties. Um, he's averaging just 13.7 carries per game, 22nd in expected fantasy points per game over the last three. So I, I it does seem like the injuries you now he's on there with ankle and heel have been limiting his volume lately. So not an exciting option, but we're going to assume for now that he plays. We'll watch and see what happens this week. Um, LaVisca Chenault got more involved last game with no Jamal Agnew. Nine targets in the first game since Jamal Agnew's hip injury. Eight targets, of course, for Laquan Treadwell in that game and seven for Marvin <laughs> Jones. So they're spreading the ugliness around to everybody. Yeah, Chenault did just enough where I'm like kind of sort of still interested in him, at least for like DFS. I, you know, I would try not to use him in season long, but he ran around on 80% of the pass plays. It's a solid number. He was in the slot for 77% of the snaps, which is what we want to see. Um, led the team with nine targets. It was a 21.5% target share. Um, you know, still resulted in just five catches for 33 yards. Um, so tough to get excited about him. But I mean, you know, now we have Dan Arnold out too, who, you know, had kind of been the team's target leader for much of his time with the team. Um, so, you know, that should free up some more work for Chanel and these other wideouts. Yeah, that helps. And I don't think that James O'Shaughnessy is going to step in and take what Dan Arnold had. Otherwise I th- they might not have traded for Dan Arnold in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. O'Sha- O'Shaughnessy's not as, as strong a pass catcher as Dan Arnold, but I don't know. He, he might end up playing the same role as far as playing time goes. O'Shaughnessy ended up running a route on 37 of 45 dropbacks last week. He saw five targets. It was a 12% target share. I think he's going to be poor man's Dan Arnold. You know, he, he might get, four or five, six targets per game. Um, so yeah, if that's what you need, if that's the best you can do, then he, he's an option for you. He's Dan Arnold's little brother. He's trailing the group because Arnold's got much better speed. <laughs> On the Rams side of this matchup, it's the second highest implied total of the week. You're just playing anybody that makes sense. So yeah. really, the question here is watching the injuries as they progress through the week. And the big one is Daryl Henderson. No practice Wednesday, got the thigh issue. So we're going to have to watch and see if he's ready to play. Of course, Sony Michelle, I think, becomes a strong play if Henderson's yeah. out. Sony Michelle should be rostered in every single fantasy league right now. So, you know, go check if he's available in yours because he, he's an elite handcuff. You know, he's an RB1 if Henderson misses any time. Um, but Sean McVay has not seemed worried about Daryl Henderson or Odell Beckham, who's dealing with a hit pointer. Um, so those guys, I'm expecting both to play. And they're, they're both, you know, Henderson's an RB1 in this matchup if the if his injury isn't a concern. And then Odell Beckham, you know, he was a full-time player last week coming out of the bye. Ran her out on 98% of the pass plays and tied for the team team lead with 10 targets. So, you know, he's he, he's locked in as an every-week fantasy starter the rest of the way now. And it still didn't keep Van Jefferson from being a solid fantasy option. So he's in play. Yeah, I don't know if you, I, I tweeted this, but um, Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson, and Cooper Cup were all among the top eight wide receivers in expected fantasy points last week. You know, it's, it's such a condensed offense. It's just those guys. It's not, it's not even Tyler Higby anymore. I, 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 I'm, done, I'm done with Tyler Higby. He's on the field, but it's just not happening. Yeah, I agree. It's not it's it's not Tyler Higby season. It certainly helped those guys last week that they were trailing at Green Bay. Mm-hmm. There should be less pass volume this week, but you know, all can be in play to a greater degree, I think, than the trio from Buffalo that we'll talk about in a few minutes. 
Yes. Washington at Las Vegas, the Raiders by two and a half over under 49 and a half on the Washington side. JD McKissick is in the concussion protocol, did not practice mm-hmm. Wednesday. I would plan on not having him this week. We'll see how he progresses. Shouldn't be a big factor. Ricky Seals Jones limited Wednesday. That shouldn't really matter though, because Logan Thomas played a whole bunch in his return. He did. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe he was slightly limited, but he played 79% of the snaps or in or out on 68% of the pass plays. You know, that, that, that's a bit lower than he had been playing. So I'd expect his playing time to grow from here. Um, and, and he saw six targets last week. Um, so I think usage wise Thomas is, you know, back in the you know borderline top 12 area and good matchup here too. Vegas 27th in adjusted points allowed to tight ends and 29th in football outsiders, tight end coverage rankings. Antonio Gibson still yeah. dealing with his shin thing. So he's still showing up on the injury report, but it's clearly <laughs> less of an issue than it was previously because his past three games have produced 24, 19 and 29 carries. And the latest one, also had seven catches against Seattle. Yeah, and he looks better to me. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe maybe the bye week was enough to just you know get him at least over that shin issue enough where he can you know kind of be in the role that that you know people that took him in the first round hoped for. So if you if you have survived Gibson to this point of the season and are still alive, like he 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 might deliver you know the top five numbers you were hoping for the rest of the way, especially with JD McKissick out. Like if McKissick does not play in this game and doesn't look like he's gonna, you could get. Gibson is, you know, something close to an every down player. And especially in this spot against a defense that's friendly to running backs. And it's a neutral scoring matchup for Taylor Heineke. Washington looks like it does not want Taylor Heineke to do more than he needs to. And that is fine with me because that's the way I think of him in a fantasy lineup too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, outside of Thomas, outside of Logan Thomas, it's still just Terry McLaurin, the only option you want to be messing with in this passing game. On the Raiders side, Darren Waller is the big story. No practice Wednesday. He's got an IT band issue. I mean, we'll see what that means. He's week to week. Uh, we don't know yet if he's going to play this week. So we're all watching. And I know I picked up Foster Moreau in an FFPC league last night. Yeah, I mean, when Waller missed week seven, Moreau basically just stepped into Darren Waller's role. He ran around on 86% of the pass plays. He saw six targets. That was an 18% target share, six catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown in that game. He was 13th among tight ends and expected fantasy points. Kind of a neutral matchup here against Washington. They're middle of the pack and both adjusted points allowed to tight ends and football outsiders tight end coverage rankings. Um, yeah, I, I think usage-wise, Moreau is, is definitely someone you can you know count on as a week 13 spot starter. Yeah, caught just one of five targets last week against Dallas, but I would look more toward that game against Philly for um, what's possible this week in yep. you know what we can chase in putting him in lineup. Certainly not a must play. I've seen I've seen people go a little bit overboard. Somebody on Twitter earlier, Adam Koffler, I believe it was, said that wherever you have Darren Waller most weeks, that's where Foster Moreau goes in your rankings. I disagree with that, but I do think that Foster Moreau becomes an intriguing option with Darren Waller level upside. Yes, agree with that. Washington remains a top scoring matchup, the top scoring matchup actually for fantasy quarterbacks. So it's a great spot for that strong positive for wide receivers, neutral for tight ends. I do think that Moreau gets a boost here because the Raiders don't have a whole lot going for them at wide receiver. Yeah. It does seem like Washington's D has been playing a bit better over the last three weeks. Now they had the strong game against Tampa Bay, um, but just looking at the football outsiders DVOA stuff, they Washington hasn't been that great the last two weeks. So, you know, maybe it's not the best, matchup for you know quarterbacks as the numbers say right now but I do still think it's a positive spot for Derek Carr and Carr Carr is coming off his best game since losing Henry Ruggs um, so that makes me feel better about using him this week yeah his performance has dipped since the Henry Ruggs thing even last week's PFF passing grade was actually lower than any of his first seven games this season with Ruggs in the lineup so you know 
You can argue about how much to take that into account. It was certainly, it looked better watching the game than the previous two weeks. So I think Derek Carr is a solid option this week in a good spot. Washington has played better, but still not a scary defense. Hunter Renfro, meanwhile, much to Jared Smola's chagrin, a strong play at this point. Eight plus targets, seven plus catches in four of his past five games. Yeah, Renfro has been a top 14 fantasy wide receiver in three of four games without Henry Ruggs. Um, he's 20th in expected fantasy points per game over that span um, and gets a positive matchup here. So yeah, he's, he's a, he's an, he's a basically a must start in PPR and even in non PPR, I think he's, you know, like a pretty solid wide receiver three. That's big. Cause I don't know if folks listening realize Jared hates all um, average size white guys in the NFL, just because it makes him wonder why he's not doing more with his physical abilities. Yeah, that's true. I, but, but I, I love the numbers more than I hate, you know, the, the average size white wide receiver. So gotta, yeah. gotta follow the numbers. There you go. Deshaun Jackson put up the numbers last time out. Limited Wednesday with a calf, so we'll see about the health. But he cracked 100 yards against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Just four targets, though. 48% playing time and 10.3% target share in that game. Tied for fifth on the team in targets. He was pretty close, though. Uh, Deshaun Jackson was to Brian Edwards and Zay Jones in routes. Um, it, you know, he, he He's definitely climbing in routes, and those other two guys are kind of falling in the opposite direction. So I'll be curious to see if that continues this week, I mean, you still can't use Deshaun Jackson this week. If we see him take over as the number two guy though, behind Hunter Renfro, then, you know, he, he, he might become an option. Mm-hmm. And Josh Jacobs is a pretty easy start at this point. He is. Yeah. You know, volume has been there, especially in the passing game. He's averaging five targets per game over the past four weeks now. So that makes him easier to trust. Even if, you know, the Raiders get into negative game script. Quick flex question before we move on to the next game. Um, LeBron's brain says via YouTube only options at flex this week are Mark Ingram, uh, TJ Hawkinson, Cole Beasley, Jerry Judy. I'll scroll up and see if I can see what the scoring is. Um, but let's assume PPR here. Who would you play Jared? It's Ingram for me, regardless of, you know, the scoring system. I think he's a pretty solid flex and the other three don't really excite me. Full PPR would make Hawkinson, a tough choice. It would a tough choice between Hawkinson and Mark Ingram. PPR. He just he just said it was PPR. So yeah. So I, it's really a toss up between Ingram and Hawkinson for me. I really don't know what to expect target wise with Taysom Hill in there, and I have no idea if they're going to have any rushing success without the two OTs. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't argue against playing Mark Ingram. I honestly not sure who I would land on between Ingram and Hawkinson in my own lineup. Mark Ingram. <laughs> there you go. So I guess the consensus here is Mark Ingram based on those two evaluations. Back to this rundown, San Francisco at Seattle, 49ers by three and a half in this one over under 45 and a half. Debo Samuel expected to miss at least one game, perhaps a second with his groin injury. That should be good for the target volumes of Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. And really, I don't care who else is playing any pass catching roles for the 49ers unless I'm combing for 3K wideouts and DraftKings. Yeah, Kittle, an elite play, should get the target boost without Debo, and, and the Seahawks have been bad against tight ends. And then Brandon Ayuk, I think he's like a wide receiver too this week. I mean, he his production has been pretty solid for the past month anyways, and you know he should also get a target boost. Although it's interesting, you know, Debo hasn't been seeing many targets the past couple weeks. He's been playing more running back than wide receiver even. But yeah, I, I do still think Ayuk, Kittle, probably pick up an extra target or two. Maybe Elijah Mitchell gets the volume yeah. boost with Debo Samuel yeah, right. out this week. Not, uh, yeah, not that he needs a volume boost, right? Right. Well, the Seahawks also don't look capable of pushing the Niners out of their run-leaning game script. So I'm not sure it's going to be too high volume a situation yeah. for anybody, but certainly good spots for those pass catchers. Elijah Mitchell, uh, RB1 right now after I played him last week. I actually, I benched him last week behind Miles Sanders. So fortunately won that matchup anyway. 
Yeah, back to back twenty seven carry games for Elijah Mitchell. That you know, that's like Derrick Henry stuff and like no one no one else. He also has five and six targets among his past three games. He has zero targets in the game in between those. But yeah, nice to see that uh, the Niners are willing to get him involved in the passing game. We'll have to see if Jermichael Hasty is back this week. He did return to a limited practice on Wednesday. If he's back, he might step back into the pass catching role. But like you said, I mean, I, I think the Niners should be able to go run heavy in this game. And that's obviously Elijah Mitchell. So yeah, he, he's a, he's an RB one play across, across scoring formats this week. On the other side, DK Metcalf is limited Wednesday with a foot issue. He sat out last week's first practice with the same issue though. So it seems like an improved situation versus that he went full last Friday, limited Saturday, then played in the game. As far as we know, allegedly played in that game, probably hurt his foot stomping around at the way Russ Wilson is playing. I'm guessing. Yeah, man, it's a tough spot with this Seattle passing game. You know, getting to this point in the fantasy season and considering benching DK Metcalf. And I guess you're not considering benching Tyler Lockett because he's still managed to have a couple strong games the past two weeks, despite Russell Wilson's struggles. But, you know, Metcalf coming off an absolute dud, he did have eight targets in the two games before last week with Russell Wilson. So I'd, I'd lean towards sticking with him. You know, there's nothing to worry about in the Niners secondary as far as matchup goes for Metcalf. But um, man, we, we've seen how low the floor is these, these past few weeks. We certainly have. It doesn't help though that Pete Carroll basically said this week they need to run the ball more. Although he, he admitted he, he can understand why Shane Waldron hasn't stuck with the run because things haven't gone well when they run the ball. The answer though is clearly Adrian Peterson <laughs> joining the pra- practice squad this week. I, I mean, like, why would you bother with Adrian Peterson at this point? Why not just grab somebody young off of some other team's practice squad and see what happens? Even if the answer is nothing happens and you dump <laughs> that guy the next week, it's at least something different. Adrian Peterson didn't work in Tennessee where running backs work. So uh, yeah. why? I don't know. Um, and I, I just, I, you know, from a fantasy perspective, you can just completely ignore this backfield. And you know, it's been a two man committee with Alex Collins and DJ Dallas the past couple of weeks. And, and neither guy has, has been effective. And Peterson's not going to be effective if he ends up getting in there. Yeah, I agree with that. You mentioned Tyler Lockett. I agree. Kind of relatively easy start, you know, not to the level that we expect him to be at this point, but. Uh, he did top 90 yards each of the past two weeks, despite only getting five targets in each of those games. We can't expect him to keep doing that kind of yardage on that kind of target. Right. But he is running deeper routes. He is playing more outside as opposed to the slot than in recent seasons. So there is more of that kind of upside to his yeah. game. Yeah. So in the past three weeks with Russell Wilson back, Lockett is 25th among wide receivers in expected fantasy points per game. And DK Metcalf is 28th in expected fantasy points for him. So they're getting similar usage and they're getting, you know, wide receiver three level usage. So I think that's kind of what we should consider these guys at this point. Yeah. And no thanks on any Seahawks running back. If I can help it, Gerald Everett though, looks well within the mix this week. Yeah. 21 targets over the past three weeks for Everett. That's second most among all tight ends. Um, He's ninth among tight ends and expected fantasy points over that span. The the matchup is tough. The Niners have been tough against tight ends this season. They're um, seventh in adjusted fantasy points allowed to, to tight ends. They're dealing with some linebacker injuries though, aren't they? Is that, does that impact the matchup for Everett at all? Yes, no Fred Warner this week with a hamstring injury. I think that should make it a better matchup. We'll see exactly what happens with that. But Washington had also been playing better in that area of the field heading into the Monday night game, and Gerald Everett did fine in that one. Yeah. So I think given what Russell Wilson is capable of right now, Gerald Everett should be in the mix here with a, with a matchup that's neutral. 
Yep. Baltimore at Pittsburgh Ravens by four and a half over under 44. TJ Watt is likely out for the Pittsburgh defense in this one. He's on the COVID list. Last time the Steelers played without him was week 11 against the Chargers. They allowed 41 points, 533 yards in that game. They, of course, allowed another 41 points with Watt back on the field last week. One of those touchdowns by the Bengals came via pick six. It's not the Pittsburgh defense that you're used to seeing, and that's a good thing for Lamar Jackson because he needs to rebound. He does, and you know, I'm going to bet on Lamar Jackson rebounding because he's Lamar Jackson because, as you mentioned, this is you know a, a mediocre Steelers defense that's you know been weakened by injuries at this point. So I, I'm going to bet on Lamar. I would I would not you know go benching him for any of these streamers. Not you know not even a, a, a Taysom Hill level streamer. Yeah, and I agree with that because he can have a bad game and still have a terrific fantasy line. He's had bad games the past two outings surrounding the game he missed against Chicago with the illness. Seven Mm -hmm. interceptions over his past three. Another two INTs, two games before that against the Chargers. That one was at least a better performance overall outside of the interceptions. But, you know, like I said, the current version of the Pittsburgh defense isn't very good. It shouldn't be all that challenging for Lamar Jackson this week. If he's got a rebound in him, it should come in this game, even if it's not you know, the ultimate ceiling game that Lamar Jackson has given us in the past. There's enough there that we should feel decent about using him. Yeah, definitely. Ben Roethlisberger, no practice Wednesdays, dealing with right shoulder and pectoral injuries. I think they should list him as man boobs <laughs> instead of pectoral when we're talking Roethlisberger, <laughs> but he was also listed with those injuries in week 12, but he started that week limited. So it's possible that he's a little bit more banged up this week than last. Yeah, I mean, I would expect him to play. I would expect him to continue playing pretty poorly. And I think the Ravens defense is a nice play this week. Chase Claypool also limited Wednesday with a toe issue. He's seen nine and eight targets the past two weeks, kind of quietly went for 93 and 82 yards in those games. Yeah, Claypool is fourth among wide receivers in expected fantasy points over the past two weeks. Um, And, you know, the the toe thing, he's been dealing with that for a few weeks now. So I'm not super worried about that. So, you know, despite Ben's poor play. Um, I, I do think Claypool is a pretty solid fantasy starter this week. And, you know, De- Deontay Johnson is obviously locked in. Pat Fryermuth, it looked early in the week. He landed on the, in the concussion protocol Tuesday. Yeah. So that timing made me worried about his availability this week, but he was a full practice participant Wednesday. So it sounds like, I don't know. It, it seems like about as mild as it could be and that he should yeah. be on track to get back. Yeah, strange situation. You know, but, you know, they never announced the concussion during Sunday's game. But um, yeah, full go Wednesday. So I, I would expect Frymuth to play at this point. He's been awesome, especially in games Eric Ebron has missed, and Ebron's going to miss this game. Uh, Frymuth has finished tight end thirteen, tight end two, tight end two, and tight end seven in his last four games without Eric Ebron. And you know, the Ravens are, are weaker against tight ends than they are wide receivers. So it could be a spot where you know there's a bit more volume pushed Frymuth's way. It pays to be a large, reliable receiver near Ben Roethlisberger at this point. For sure. Denver at Kansas City. The Chiefs by nine and a half here, over under 47. Melvin Gordon did not practice Wednesdays, dealing with shoulder and hip injuries. Got hurt early in last week's game, but returned the ensuing drive. So we'll watch the rest of the week. The guess at this point would be that he plays in this game. Yeah, I would expect him to play too. And there really wasn't any change as far as usage goes in this backfield coming out of the bye week. Uh, Javante Williams did lead in snaps and lead in pass routes. I do think some of that was obviously due to the fact that Gordon ended up missing like a series or two with the hip injury. Um, so I still think you're looking at, you know, pretty close to a 50, 50 split here. I do think both guys are in play though, as you know, lower end RB twos because of the matchup, uh, you know, Casey's still weak against the run and in their two meetings last year, the Broncos running backs combined for 29 carries in both of those games. So they wanted to go run, run heavy. They were able to go, 
run heavy. So, you know, if you, you can get about that number from these two guys, and you're talking, you know, 13, 14, 15 carries out of, out of both Gordon and Javante Williams. Yeah, some of this will depend on how the game starts out. If the Chiefs jump out to a big lead, it might take Denver out of doing that a whole lot. But if Denver starts with the ball, they're probably going to try to pound it a lot. One thing that emerged in last week's game, and I'll be curious to see if it's something they're trying to do or just happen in that game, was Javante Williams was the favored red zone running back last week against the Chargers. There were two drives where he came in when they got to the red zone on drives that Melvin Gordon had been on the field. One time was early, the other time was a little bit later. There was another one where Melvin Gordon came in in the red zone when Javante Williams had opened the drive, but that one followed a 42 yard catch and run by Williams. It was his third straight touch on that drive. It was his fifth touch of the drive. So, you know, tough to know if they're just mixing them like that and, and, and put Melvin Gordon in because it was time to put Melvin Gordon in, or if they were like, all right, Javante needs a little rest. We'll put Melvin Gordon in possible. that Javante Williams is turning mm-hmm. into the favored red zone back. I wouldn't operate that way yet. But we do have Javante Williams ahead of Melvin Gordon in the rankings this week, probably more than we have any other week because of both, you know, at least some edge there and also the edge the past couple games in the pass offense. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, if you are deciding between the two, it'd be Javante Williams for me. Um, But, you know, Gordon still ended up with more carries last week. It was 17 carries for Gordon to 14 for Javante Williams. I, I do think Gordon's still a fine play, but Javante would be my preference if you're choosing between them. Yes, I agree with that stated in that way. It's a positive matchup for Noah Fant, as well as I mentioned before. Ryan McDowell of Dynasty League Football says only the Eagles have allowed more top 12 PPR performances by tight ends this year than the nine that Kansas City has allowed. Yeah, we have the Chiefs 23rd in adjusted points allowed to tight end, so it's a good matchup from that standpoint, too. It's just, I mean, it's tough to like any part of this passing game because it's low volume and the targets are so spread. I mean, we know the wide receivers have been pretty unreliable, even – Noah Fant in the three games that he's played since Jerry Judy returned. Noah Fant is 27th among tight ends and expected fantasy points per game over that stretch. He's just not getting the usage we kind of need to make him a reliable fantasy option. Yeah, the target volume has stunk across the Denver offense. So if you're playing any Denver pass catchers in this game, you're hoping for like a classic Patrick Mahomes Chiefs game where they jump out to a huge lead and Denver has to throw the ball 40 plus times and get targets for all these guys at wide receiver. Jerry Judy is really the only one that I'm looking at at all. Not excited about him, but he looks like the best bet for targets and, you know, production on those targets. Yeah, so so the wide receivers in expected fantasy points since Judy came back. Judy leads the way. He's but he's forty third in expected points. So you know he's getting wide receiver four level usage. Tim Patrick is next at sixty first, and Cortland Sutton is one hundred and second in expected fantasy points per game. Or it's 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 so sad. Like a, a guy that good should not be you know getting ignored like this in the offense. But you you can't you can't use Cortland Sutton. You can't use Tim Patrick. And I think you know Judy is you know at best a, a lower end wide receiver three. That's what happens when you have no idea how to pick any quarterbacks. On the Chiefs' side, you know to play the big dogs. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire returned in Week 11 before their bye last week. He took over the carry lead again from Darrell Williams pretty clearly ahead of Darrell Williams. He even scored from the one-yard line. It was Darrell Williams leading CEH in pass snaps, though. Yeah, Williams led in, in passing snaps. He led in snaps in general. It was close. It was 53% for Williams to 47% for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, Williams had three targets to Clyde Edwards-Alaire's two. Um, it was CEH's first game back from injury, so maybe he he gets a bit more now coming off the bye. I do think Williams is going to remain involved, though. So I think, you know, I think 
Eberzolaire is kind of stuck in RB2 territory. Yes, I agree with that. I think Williams is a low-level flex option if you're looking down that range. Like if you're wondering whether you should pick up Austin Walter or Godwin Iwabuke, go ahead and play Daryl Williams this week. Agreed. Nicole Hardman has finally seen his playing time drop and sharply the last time out played 18% of the snaps. He has been fifth among Chiefs wide receivers and pass routes in two straight games now. You know, he's falling he's falling behind Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson and Josh Gordon. So Hardman Hardman's off the fantasy radar. And still there's really nobody worth using beyond Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Correct. New England at Buffalo to wrap things up this week. Bills by three over under 43 on the New England side. Mac Jones is playing well, but this is a negative matchup. He's not a volume winner. I mean, I think in this passing game, if you're looking down in like wide receiver four range, there's some upside to Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, especially because the Bills are now without Tredavious White. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a fun real life game. I think it's not a game you want to invest heavily in in fantasy. I think it's going to be a defensive battle. Even even Kendrick Bourne, man, he is overachieving his usage by a ton. I mean, he's, you know, he's finished as a top five fantasy wide receiver in two of the last three weeks now, I mean, he's 75th among receivers and expected fantasy points over the last four weeks. So, you know, you're, you're kind of playing with fire. If you're, if you're using Kendrick Bourne again, especially in this matchup, I, I don't think the Patriots passing game is going to have a ton of success. You don't think Kendrick Bourne can continue his 108% catch rate. <laughs> Doubt it, but we'll see. Uh, the Bills activated star Lotu Lele off the COVID list Wednesday. He missed the past three games. So that is good for the Buffalo run defense, which certainly matters for this matchup. Not having him didn't hurt against the Saints on Thanksgiving night. Of course, they were very banged up at running back. Didn't hurt against the Jets two weeks before. Of course, they're the Jets. It certainly didn't help, though, against Jonathan Taylor in that game in between. So yep. it's a big return for that run defense. And I, like I said, it matters because the Patriots would like to give the ball to Damian Harris yes. and Ramondre Stevenson a lot. Yeah, I mean, if, I, if I'm Bill Belichick in this game, I'm, I'm going to go run heavy because, you know, the, the – Bills have struggled against these power running teams. You know, Jonathan Taylor had, had the big game against them. Derrick Henry had the big game against them. And, you know, Damon Harris and Ramondre Stevenson aren't, aren't those guys. But I do think New England's offense is similar in how it plays. So um, I, I do think you're going to get a lot of carries for those guys. They're, they're going to be split basically 50-50. We've seen that the past two weeks now where Damon Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, as far as snaps go, as far as carries go, that, you know, it's been pretty much split right down the middle. So, you know, that hurts both guys. But I do think, you know, they both should get – in the double digits as far as carries go in this game. So they're both in play as, as RB threes. Yeah. They're kind of in the same range as Boston Scott and Miles Sanders at this yeah. point in a worse matchup overall, but at least on a team where the quarterback isn't taking away the touchdowns. Mm -hmm. So there are okay options. I think Brandon Bolden's continued role in the passing game, you know, further lowers the ceiling on him. It, it makes none of the Patriots running backs exciting at all, but all of them can be used at different levels if you need them. Yeah, I would, I would prefer both of the Jets guys this week to both of the Patriots guys just because of the matchup. You mean both Eagles guys, right? Both Eagles guys to both Patriots guys, yeah. Uh, Hunter Henry, by the way, before we get away from the Patriots, has now gone seven straight games without reaching 40 yeah. receiving yards. He has one game in that span with more than two catches. Yeah, the ultimate touchdown or, or bust play, and I don't think he's a good touchdown bet in this spot the Jerome Bettis of tight ends <laughs> on the Bills side. Apparently they're quitting Zach Moss again, but Jared, the last time that we saw Zach Moss healthy yeah. scratched, he returned the next week to score two touchdowns against Miami. 
Yeah, I, I would not be surprised at all if he's active again for this game. Um, you know, some of the beat writers actually predicted that he was going to be a healthy scratch for that Saints game just based on the matchup. I think, you know, the Bills kind of wanted to attack the edges more in that game. I don't know what they're going to want to do against the Patriots, but I would not be surprised if if Moss is active. And that, that would obviously make uh, Singletary and Breda tougher to trust. I would try to, you know, stay away from the Bills' backfield this week. Yes, I would too. They went run heavy against the Saints on Thanksgiving night. We got 15 carries from Devin Singletary. We got nine from Matt Breida. I you know, still prefer not to play any of them. If there's no yeah. Zach Moss again, Devin Singletary ahead of Matt Breida, but neither is going to be exciting. Yeah, I think I'd go Singletary, though. It, it, just watching the game, it seemed like Breida was the lead back, and then he blew a blitz pickup in like the second quarter, and then he didn't play again for like until like the fourth quarter. Um, so I, 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 I don't know what Buffalo's plans are in this backfield, which is why I would just try to stay away from it. I think the only thing that Matt Breed has done consistently in his career so far is fall out of favor. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Currently we have Devin Singletary first among Buffalo running backs in our rankings, but he's one spot behind Boston Scott, just to kind of give you some yeah. context for where these guys rank. Yep. The top three Buffalo wideouts, of course, are all in consideration. Not a matchup, though, that boosts any of them. I mean, obviously, Stephon Diggs is an easy start. I'm more interested in Cole Beasley than I am Emmanuel Sanders, but, you know, bottom of wide receiver three range for him. Yeah, I would I would not want to use Emmanuel Sanders or Cole Beasley in this matchup. You know, both guys have been pretty disappointing from a production standpoint and from a usage standpoint over the last month now. And again, I, I don't think it's going to be, a, you know, a, a big game for the Bills offense. And I think, you know, most of what they do is going to go through Stefan Diggs and, you know, potentially Dawson Knox at this point, who kind of looks like the number two option in the passing game. Yeah. So the Patriots are number one in tight end coverage DVOA, according to football outsiders right now, but there's a lot to worry about at wide receiver in this matchup for that Patriots defense. And Dawson Knox is just in a good situation, especially with his red zone role compared to other tight ends that are in the same range of the rankings. So, I mean, he capitalized on a positive matchup two weeks ago. Last week, he had a tough matchup against New Orleans, caught two touchdowns among his three targets. So, I mean, if you're picking among tight ends that make you shrug, I'm going to go with the yeah. one that plays with Josh Allen right now. Yeah, and after being a bit limited in his first game back from that hand injury, um, Knox has run routes on 95% of the Bills' pass plays and then 84% of the Bills' pass plays. So the usage has been awesome. And you know, despite despite the negative matchup, um, I, I, I think Knox is a pretty easy top 10 tight end play this week. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's going to do it for this Week 13 preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can see our full Week 13 rankings to help finalize your lineup decisions. Check the tools, the intel, and the teams and boards menus at the top of the website for all the customized assistance that you need this week. If you still have a last burning question or two, come on over to the DraftSharks Discord. It's free to join. You can find a link to do that in the description for this podcast. For Jared Smoll and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shao saying thanks so much for some of us.